2: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale.
3: And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we're going to do something a little different here on the show. We are going to blend A bit of adventure with some citizen science hearkening back to a trip that I took a couple of months ago with a pair of researchers from Oregon State University. So Jim, set the scene for us here. I
2: I know you ventured out into the snow on touring skis to gather some snow depth measurements earlier this year at Santiam Pass out in Central Oregon. It looked super fun and also it looks pretty cold, uh, <laughs> but I don't have a great handle just yet on what you are actually up to out there.
3: Yeah, so basically I had heard of the Community Snow Observations Program, which kind of in very short here encourages backcountry users. So uh, people who like to ski, snowmobile, snowshoe, stuff like that to submit snow depth measurements using an app. but I had never actually done that before. And well, obviously snow depth is interesting in terms of recreation, right? I like to go out in deep snow as do other skiers, snowboarders, snowshoers, etc. Um, those kinds of measurements are really important for, well, actually important reasons. They help you know researchers better understand the snowpack, um, hazards like avalanches, and they support, as you know, we'll, we'll talk about here later in the show, water runoff models that help us learn about water resources, ecology, things like that. So this trip offered me an opportunity to go out and go skiing with cool people for work um, and learn a little bit about citizen science along the way. So plenty to love there. And
2: of course, you and Oregonian video producer Brooke Herbert put together a really great video about the trip for the latest episode of the Peak Northwest video series. So folks can go check that out if they're interested in following along. And of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can also check out the YouTube channel for that. But today on the show, to give us the lowdown about the Community Snow Observations Project and how folks can get involved themselves, we have with us Oregon State Professor Dave Hill and PhD student Nina Aragon. Nina, Dave, how are you?
0: Doing great. Excited to be here.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: great to be with you. Great.
2: Well, first off, I I wonder if you could just explain the Community Snow Observations Project. Um, Jim just gave us a little bit about it, but I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what exactly it is and maybe how folks can get involved in helping out with it.
1: Sure. So uh, the CSO Project, the Community Snow Observations Project, is a citizen science project that was funded by NASA in 2017. And one of the main goals of this project is to encourage members of the public to become citizen scientists by submitting measurements of snow depth to our program. And we encourage, we definitely encourage measurements anywhere, anytime, anybody can participate. Our project really does specialize, though, in measurements from people in high mountain environments. And this is interesting because that's really where most of the snow is found. And as as Jim noted, this includes winter backcountry recreationists, such as snowshoers, split boarders, skiers, those types of users. And it also includes snow professionals. So we get a lot of data as well from ski patrollers, avalanche forecasters, and avalanche observers. So getting involved in CSO is really easy. Um, As a starting point, we we like to direct people to our website, which is at communitysnowobs.org. And so at our website, you'll find some, some basic tutorials on how to get started and also links to our social media channels, which have video tutorials and other information. But it really boils down to you just needing three things to participate. You need your phone. You need some sort of snow measuring device. And then you need the Mountain Hub app, which you can get both for iOS and for Android.
2: All this data you're collecting using these tools that people are taking out there with them, what exactly is this this used for? I mean, Jim mentioned there's a recreational aspect to it and also a scientific aspect. What is the, the, the sort of the basic use for, for gathering all of this data?
0: So all of the citizen science data um, is really unique. It's taken like Dave mentioned, at high alpine locations, typically, where we typically don't get data from our snow stations that we have kind of scattered throughout um, the Western United States. So we get this really unique data set, and we use it to improve our computer models of the distribution and evolution of snow in high mountain environments. And because of the complexity of mountain environments... And the lack of having observations there, models generally have a hard time accurately producing snowpack. But if we include these observations of snow depth, we can actually steer our model simulations back towards reality. And then these improved estimates of snow distribution can help us better understand water resources, the earth's climate hazards such as flooding and avalanches, And our mountain ecosystems as a whole.
3: Nina, my impression is you do a lot of the actual modeling yourself. So you shared with Brooke and I kind of these simulations that play forward the snowpack, I think over the course of a season or over multiple seasons. Practically speaking, when you sit down at the computer and are working with this, what are you doing with it uh, tangibly?
0: When I sit down at my computer, I am first Uploading all of the data that's been contributed for an area that I'm modeling. And then I'm giving that data to the model um, that we're running. So this model has all sorts of inputs. Um, we give it temperature and precipitation and relative humidity and wind speeds and the terrain profile of the space rain and the land cover. And so the model can run without these citizen science observations with just this meteorological information, but then we can bring in this citizen science data and it measures a correction factor. So how far off is the model from what's actually on the ground? And so what I do is I incorporate these citizen science measurements into that modeling workflow in order to improve those estimates of snow distribution.
3: Dave to kind of expand on that a little bit more here we've we've kind of uh, touched on it a couple points you know that this data helps kind of uh, inform us generally about you know a number of things it's water resources ecology you know the effects of a changing climate um kind of zoom out here what what is the bigger picture of uh, what the goal is here for researchers
1: yeah sure I mean, We believe that this project is important because it helps us to get the snow right. I mean, snow distribution is really important for many different reasons, right? It's, it's, It's clearly important for winter recreation. We all love to know where the snow is and when the snow is and those kinds of things. But there are many other reasons. You know, if you think about it, snowpack stores water, right? It holds it back for months at a time until springtime and early summer arrive and then it slowly releases it as as meltwater. And this is really important, this helps to reduce flooding. If all of our precipitation in Oregon fell as rain, it would run off much more quickly and and we would have greater flooding hazards. You know, another thing is that snowmelt, it's really important because it helps to regulate temperature in streams and it helps to keep them cool. Another thing is that in in Oregon, if you think about it, our snow is, is found in a, a geographically small area for the most part. We have this very narrow spine of the Cascades. So we're quite a bit different from Washington state in that regard. And then we do have other small areas like the Wallowas and the Steens and so forth, right? But the the, the area where we get snowfall is pretty small. But that said, even given that small area, over 15% of the state's total precipitation falls as snow. So we're talking about a lot of water equivalent and participating in CSO is going to continue to improve our ability to be able to say where and when the snow is and then there are a lot of stakeholders downstream of that who benefit from that information.
3: And w- one of the upshots of this program is that you are encouraging users who are already in the backcountry to submit their observations, uh, kind of filling in the gaps, if you will, between other spots uh, where they have standardized, you know, data collection points, whether that's a snowtell station or something else. Walk me through, maybe using our trip out to Santiam Pass as an example. Walk me through what it actually entails to collect and then submit these observations yourself?
0: Okay, so if you are out in the backcountry and you're on a ski tour or snowmobiling or snowshoeing, really the idea is that you can take these snow depth measurements opportunistically at any point during your excursion. So once you're out in a snowy place and you have a couple of minutes to take measurements, the first thing that you'll want to do is find an undisturbed snowy area where there's not ski tracks or snowmobile tracks, etc. And once you have found a good site, you're going to get out your measurement device, which is typically an avalanche probe for most of our user group, although anything with length markings can work. And once you have your measurement device, you're going to take about three snow depth measurements within a couple meter radius. And it's really important to make sure that your avalanche probe, or other measurement device goes all the way down to the ground. And after you collect these three measurements, you're going to have to do a little math and take the average of those measurements. And you just enter that average depth into the Mountain Hub app.
3: And it's a pretty quick process, right? We, I, I think it probably took uh, a few minutes, tops, to submit any of the, the measurements that we did out, out at San Ana Pass.
0: Yeah, it's very quick, um, and that was part of the design of the CSO project. The CSO team as a whole came up with sort of three guiding principles to make participation in this project really fast and easy. So we first don't want participants to have any new or specialized equipment when they're having to go out there and contribute data. And second, um, this participation should be fast and easy because we want people to be able to complete whatever objective they were out doing that day. And third, we want this process to be highly automated. So that's where the iOS and Android app comes in. So once you've downloaded Mountain Hub, you just enter that depth measurement and that comes directly to us.
3: And and one note is, as you taught me when we were out in the field, it's important to actually log that measurement from the location you measured, a.k.a. don't go back to your car and uh, get all warm and then enter your snow depth measurements.
0: Exactly. That geolocation is really important for later analysis.
2: Now, I'm curious, I mean, how popular is this, this program? Do you have a, a large number of people out there doing it, or is it just sort of a small, dedicated community who are taking these measurements?
1: Yeah, so um, that's a great question. I think since the project started, we've had about over 3,000 sort of unique participants. And last I checked, we're up to about 30,000 measurements that have come in to this project over that time. And the users, I mean, we have a little bit of everything. We have we have some super users, right? These people who go out and every season we might get like a hundred measurements from them. Uh, we have a lot of people that sort of submit just a couple, you know. They're 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 kind of curious, so they check the program out. And one of the things that we work hard on is trying to not just recruit people, but retain them, sustain the interest, get them to keep submitting data. And we, we try and do this by producing products that are interesting to them. So, for example, if somebody sends us a data point, we can make really interesting graphics that sort of show how their measurement at that location compares to what the snow is typically like at that location over the course of a year. And so by giving back these kinds of informational products, it, it's our hope that people will kind of remain interested and see the value and want to continue to participate.
2: Yeah, I love that. It, it gives people an opportunity to feel like they're contributing to something and they can see real life results from. I know that even, you know, I have not participated in this, you know, I don't go out in the back country a lot, but even I love looking at those, you know, snow depth maps every year, see what our snowpack is like. You know, I feel like this time of year, we're always looking at, you know, how much snow do we have? How fast is it melting? What's the impact going to be like on our, you know, our wildfires this summer, uh, whatever the case may be. So it seems like you know a lot of people really have a vested interest in this, whether they even know it or not.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. And you know, we 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 are we try to reach all of those people because uh, we we believe that this project um, really benefits everybody. I mean, we we have our direct participants, the the people who are out in the field submitting data. Um, we have people who just have a sort of a more passing interest in in snow who might like to look up online. What is the snowpack like um, and so yeah it's, it's important to us to try and reach the broadest audience possible
2: well we are going to talk some more with Nina and Dave discussing how to prepare for and how to be safe during a springtime trip into the backcountry right after a short break All right, folks, we are back talking with Dave Hill and Nina Aragon from Oregon State University. Um, You know, we've talked a a good bit on the show here today about taking snow observations while in the backcountry, but we'd be remiss not to address how to prepare for that kind of trip and how to stay safe while you're out there. So, I mean, if people are going out there into the backcountry for obviously for recreation, for exploration, they want to take some snow observations out there, too. What what are some things to to consider um, before you leave home? Some some things to take with you, some precautions to take.
1: Sure. So that's a that's a great uh, it's a great question. It's it, it, it's a question that has different answers, kind of depending upon you know what your objective is, where you plan to go, how how long you plan to be gone, and these kinds of things. But regardless of sort of the difficulty or the the duration, I guess of of, of a backcountry trip, there are a lot of sort of common things that you want to think about each time. You know, clothing is super important, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, where our winter can still be very, very wet. And so it's it's really important to have the right clothing for a trip like this, you know, multiple layers, good waterproof clothing, those kinds of things. Because the conditions can change, and if you're out for a long time, exposure can add up. So that's a really good place to start. You also regardless again of how long you're gonna be gone you want to make sure that you take some things like uh, you know some calories some snacks Uh, hydration is really important some people think that they're like I can just eat snow along the way and that helps but you really need to make sure that you have proper food and water with you other things are you know it's great it's great to sort of make up your trip as you go and, and being spontaneous is is part of the joy of being outside But if you're going to go on, especially if you're going to go on your own, but even if it's just two, even if it's two of you, you know, it's good to leave a little bit of information with somebody back home about what your plan is. You know, let people know where you roughly plan to go, kind of let them know when you expect to be back by. Cell phone service is is pretty good and it's always getting better. But even as it gets better, that really doesn't take away the value of just letting somebody know where you're going to be. And then I think the last thing that i that I sort of think a lot about is is making sure that you have good navigational tools with you. and And that's a, that's a really interesting area that's changing all the time. You know, twenty five years ago, when I first started going into the back country, it was seven and a half minute USGS paper maps. And these days we have these amazing little computers in our pockets called phones, and you can get all kinds of great mapping applications on there. Uh, that's great. I also like to encourage people to not rely just on an electronic device. Batteries can wear down, you can drop it. There's a whole bunch of things that can go wrong. So making sure that you have a little bit of comfort with basic navigation, you know, using using a compass and even having a paper map as backup is a really good idea.
3: And those are just considerations you should have before you leave home or at the very least leave the trailhead. Um, but Nina, there's also plenty to know about actually being safe while you are out in the backcountry. So being knowledgeable about weather and avalanche forecasts, carrying the right kind of equipment for the terrain you're in, um, that kind of stuff. So uh, in brief, Nina, what should folks know when they are kind of traveling through snowy terrain in the the spring or early summer months here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to know if you will be entering avalanche terrain. And if you are, you really want to be sure that you've checked the Avalanche Bulletin at either avalanche.org or the local Pacific Northwest Bulletin at nwac.us so that you can appropriately match your terrain selection to the day's avalanche conditions. And of course, you also want to have the tools you need for avalanche terrain. So shovel, beacon and probe and the training. So knowing how to use these tools if you are traveling in the backcountry. I think it's also worth mentioning that there's a lot of amazing avalanche safety resources and courses being offered for human powered and motorized backcountry travel. And there's also lots of scholarships available for these courses. So it's worth checking out your local avalanche center to see what's offered in your area.
3: Very much so. And that says nothing, too, of just simply, uh, you know, it, it may sound simple, Nina, but just because it is nice, say you live in Portland, just because it's blue skies and sunny, you know, at home when you leave the house in the morning, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be blue skies and sunny up on the mountain. Um, What can you tell us a little bit about, you know, tracking down a good forecast before you head out?
0: I really like to check multiple forecasts. The mountains can be a little bit unpredictable, so I think it's really useful to check a couple different sites out, or the forecasts for the local ski resorts, if you're near a ski resort, can also be helpful for planning your trip.
3: Yeah, I know. I can get get a little bit uh, forecast obsessive, you know, if I know I have a couple of days off and I'm kind of staring down uh, some sort of trip. Uh, I think myself and and anyone else who goes into the mountains regularly uh, is really clued in, as I'm sure uh, you and Dave both are, to uh, the forecast and trying to get the best possible idea of what it's going to be like before you actually, you know, strap on your skis, your split board and go out there. So. Dave, to kind of wrap all of this up for folks who maybe we've piqued their interest here about community snow observations, uh, you know, going out into the backcountry, taking some of these, perhaps uh, submitting them through the Mountain Hub app. What's the upshot here? Why, why is this important, and why should folks get involved?
1: Yeah, well, I like to th- I, I like to think that there are really three reasons for participating in the Community Snow Observations Project. I mean, first, as we talked about earlier, the data that come into this program, they are unique and they're very valuable. And they result in a major improvement in our ability to model the distribution and the evolution of the snowpack in the mountains. Now to tie this back to NASA, you know, NASA cares very much about this. They have a number of satellite programs that directly or indirectly observe snow properties. And programs like ours help to validate their observational programs. So measuring snow depth may not feel like rocket science, but it actually is, which is pretty cool. Um, And then the second thing is we sort of view our program as a way to build a sense of community among backcountry users, right? We all like to consume snow and weather information regularly when we're planning trips. So before we go out on a a trip, we check the weather, we check the snow forecast, we check the snow tell sites. In this country, we're really lucky that we have a lot of great publicly available resources related to the environment, weather data, streamflow data, and so forth. So our project is a chance for the public to actually help make those resources better and more accurate. And then the third thing is that we, we view CSO as a way to help educate the public about their water and snow resources. In a place like Oregon, even though you may not live right near the snow, chances are good that some of your drinking water is sourced from spring snowmelt. So we want people to be aware of and understand where that water comes from. And we hear from people regularly who participate in CSO that simply by observing the snow and how it changes from day to day or from location to location, that they are developing a better understanding of the water cycle. And honestly, that's a win as as far as our program is concerned.
3: That is very cool. And before we let you go here, if folks want to learn more about the Community Snow Observations project, where can they turn?
0: If you want to learn more about CSO, you should check out our website at communitysnowobs.org. We have lots of tutorials on how to contribute data. We have blog posts that are really interesting. And we also have all of this data publicly available. So anyone can interact or download these snow depth measurements for themselves.
3: Very cool. Well, Nina, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And of course, showing me around at Santiam Pass earlier this year. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, Jim. Yeah, thank you both. Uh, Great, great to do this. And it was great to spend some time out on the snow with you.
2: And Jim, of course, anyone who wants to see the community snow observation process in action, can go to the Oregonians YouTube channel and check out the new Peak Northwest video that you all shot out there, which is, again, I will say a great video and everyone should go check that out for themselves.
3: Well, thank you, Jamie. Uh, Brooke and I had a lot of fun out there shooting the video. It was good to, you know, in a, a socially distanced way, meet up with Dave and Nina and uh explore a little bit of a new zone for me i had not actually uh spent any time in the winter time uh kind of ski touring in the area where we went so it was fun for me to check out uh a new zone for me in the winter time and uh you know, I learned a lot from Nina and Dave. They're super knowledgeable um, in their field and, uh, you know, motivated me to try to, as Dave alluded to, be a little bit more active in kind of the mountain community, you know, trying to, you know, play my part because I, I do rely a lot on the kind of trip reports and observations and things that other people in the mountain community submit themselves. So a very cool program and one whose mission I think is is pretty darn cool.
2: But Jim, do I take that to mean that you're going to be out there taking community snow
3: observations yourself in the future? I would like to think so. I have the tools to do it. I have the app to do it. I know how to do it now. Um, I'm hoping to be spending a good amount of time in the snow as uh the springtime wears on. So I think it is safe to say that uh I will definitely give it a shot.
2: Awesome. We're well, looking forward to hearing more about that from you.
3: Yes, sir. Well, again, I will plug the video one more time. It is a, a very fun one. Uh, I think folks will uh, very much enjoy uh seeing kind of the process in action and uh putting some faces to names of folks that were on the show here today. But Jamie, until next time around, you can watch this video and of course all of our others on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash PodSupport. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels,
2: everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.